Welcome back in to another exciting episode of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. We have a full backfield tonight, Jeff. I know we're not used to that. Oh, man, look, special guest tonight. We've got Slick and Dave from the Picune podcast and uh, the great job that they've done all season long. We wanted to thank them before we even get uh, started tonight, the way they've done the previews and the post games. And then on that note, before we let them uh, chime in here, Jeff, thank you for the job that you, Jeremy, and Eli, and Darby uh, did with the PRC post-game show, too. So that's much appreciated. We've seen the listeners respond, too, yep. Jeff. They've clicked on and, and listened to these guys for their previews and post-games for Picune. And then they listen to what y'all had to say after the Blue Devils as well. Yeah, so thank you. And what's funny is I, I, I try to put them out, you know, to the, in the group text or whatever. You know, I wait three or four days and I try to put the numbers out. But I only go back seven days because Friday to Friday, you know, you do, during a week. And I go back on a seven-day stat and look. But if you go back further looking, people are still listening to – three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and, and they're listening to the previews uh, that Dave and Ricky's doing. They're listening to the, the post game from Popperville. You and Jason doing the Popperville post game podcast. I mean, they're still listening. So the, the listenership is just growing not only with the weekly podcast we do, as far as me and you, the Talking Ball original brand, but the fingers branching out with PRC, Popperville, and Picayune. Uh, people are responding. Man, that's been cool. And so Dave – is in the house and then slick like I, ricky glenn ricky whitaker we appreciate like what y'all have done i will call just like i do jason jb and bake that's like a broadcaster's thing you're supposed to refer to that person as their name and singular i'll refer to slick and rick and everything else but uh so thank you guys for what y'all have done following picking football it's been awesome to team up with y'all and to hear what y'all put out each week yeah, thanks, Clay. I mean, it's been a blast, and uh, I told you earlier this week, man, I've been on, wanting to do this roundtable for three years. <laughs> Finally got the invite. This is awesome. Yeah, it's it's really been a lot of fun, Clay, and I appreciate you letting us take part in this, and I love what you guys have built. Um, I know this has been something you and Jeff have worked on uh, really hard, put a lot of time into it, and uh, love that. And just, again, you know, we, we're nothing special. We've just tried to think about what we would want to hear. Uh, on a regular basis and what people would want to hear from a game and try to put that out and you know we're just happy that people have responded and uh, it's like David said man being on the sideline the kids have responded the coaches as well they, they seem like they've enjoyed it so that just makes it all the better yeah and you talk about the response uh, slick you're following a team 10 and 1 lone losses on the road over to D'Iverville a good club you're seeing week in week out yeah, and what's been great about this team, Clay, is is we've really seen them progress each week, right? They've just continued to add more um, to this team as the as the weeks have rolled on, and it's like any team in high school football or any sports team for that 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 matter. Um, you know, it takes a couple weeks to kind of figure out who you are and what your personnel can do, and then you can start adding things as you go along. But man, to be gelling right now, I know you're a basketball guy, and we talk about the you know, getting ready for March Madness, you want to be gelling at the right time, and this team is definitely doing that. Dave, as you followed along through 11 ball games, anything that just jumps out at you or that has surprised you about this 2021 edition of the Maroon Tide? Yeah, and I've used the word a lot the last couple of weeks, and I talk about fresh, and I talk about how they're just 
and it goes on to gelling and it's everything clay it's just a, a whole mixture of everything and they're fresh going in the playoffs they're playing their best ball the last two weeks i mean they have just been dominant from start to finish and if you listen to us earlier on and i'm sure a lot of people have me and ricky really harped on how they've had to have those second half adjustments to really win the games it's been I don't know how many weeks, Ricky, since they've actually had to have some sac- second half adjustments, and I mean Clay, they're they're just playing outstanding football right now. Slick, when you look at it, you and Dave, like anything you do, you're gonna have some growing pains. You're gonna learn. David makes the point there, being fresh. Cody Stogner's first year last year gets off to like a world beater, tremendous start and then loses the last three. Wes Jones knocked you out in the first round of your playoffs. The reality is Coach Stogner had big shoes to fill, a lot of pressure on him. That was his first year. What do you think the freshness there, but other lessons learned uh, from Coach Stogner from year one and year two, Coach Stogner and his staff, staff as a whole, the way they've coached this team up? Well, Clay, I think that he's he's alluded to this a lot this year in, in his some of the interviews that we've done with him on our, our podcast. And, you know, he talked a lot about really learning from the mistake of trying to play kids too much, right? And and that's one thing that it's hard to do, right, when you've got such good athletes. And, and I'll give you an example of what we've seen. You know, when we come into this, this podcast and we're on the sideline for the first time, you know, we're thinking it's going to be Dante Dawdell. He's going to run the football. Dorian Robinson will come in and close out. And then they started to sprinkle in guys throughout the season. We started to see Chris Davis, and, oh, boy, he's pretty good. And then we started to see uh, a little bit of Naki Ratcliffe, and, and he's pretty good too. And we started to see less of Dorian, right? And then we started to, to find guys that we could, we could work in on the defense side of the ball to give breaks. So now we're building some depth. So we got guys that aren't playing both ways a whole lot, and we're able to build that depth. We're able to get that freshness that Dave mentioned. And, and that's, I think, the biggest takeaway that, that – that Cody Stogner's learned as a coach, and it's it's boded very well for him. Yeah, he's had a tremendous go of it here in his second year, and his overall record, his winning percentage overall, looking pretty nice here in just his second year. David, I'll ask you about Dodell. It's a kid that I guess you and um, Dennis DeVore started telling me about maybe since this kid was in maybe the sixth, seventh grade. Um, you've, you've seen him up close and in uh, – a lot of football games. He's been what what you thought he would be at this stage in his playing career. I mean, now he's starting to get looks, starting to garner some offers, but this is kind of what you expected from the young man. Yeah, I was fortunate, Clay. I was on the coaching staff at the junior high when he was in seventh and eighth grade, and I used to tell everybody I could about him. I told you about him, and I know Dennis told you about him. And, I mean, he he just was mature for his age. So he's 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 bigger, he's faster, he's stronger at seventh in the seventh grade, and th- and those things stand out. You go out there and you look, and we play some pretty st- stiff competition in the seventh and eighth grade. We play on that coast league with the bigger schools, and he's out there really dominating. He's he's probably where I was thinking he could be, but you never you never want to project a kid out that far. But he's he's really really come to his own, and I will say he had ball security issues early on, but. He has worked on that. I don't know what if it's something the coaching staff has done with him, but we were worried about that early in the year. He had one game. I can't remember exactly what game it was. He had two big costly fumbles and mishandles, and 
and we haven't seen that since. And he's really, really starting to garner some attention. Today, actually, he got a letter for the uh, All-American Combine. So, in uh, Kylie was telling me, my daughter, she was there, and they kind of broke it out at, in the room um, – in the field house and they were all quiet and he opens it up and tells them what it is. And the whole team goes crazy. I mean, it's just, and, and I'll let Ricky talk on this cause we've talked about it and he's talked about it, how much they play for each other, the energy, the excitement. It's, it's really cool. Like, yeah, Dowdell's getting this award, but I mean, this team really plays for each other. Yeah, they do. They, they love each other. And, and he loves those other running backs and as well. And, you know, they all do something different, right? You've got, you got Dante Dawdell. He comes in. Uh, he and Darnell Smith, his fullback, and they're kind of that thunder group. And you know, we talked a little bit early in the season about you know we wish he could have a little better vision. But you know what? What he does to a defense, and, and I'm just going to tell you guys, we've all if you've played any kind of organized football, at some point in your career, your life, you've gotten run over. And and anytime that happens, you maybe it's the car ride home or when you're falling asleep at night, you start questioning is football really for me? And we've seen Dante do that to kids. And I'm talking about good football players where they, they start kind of holding their, their arm a little bit. And I was talking to one of the scouts at a game a couple weeks ago, and he said, man, that Dante, look at him run away from the defense. I said, you got to look closer. They're running away from him mm-hmm. because they've, they've t- taken those licks, and he wears them down. And he knows that, that a guy like Chris Davis can come in behind him. And, and I'm going to tell you guys, uh, Dante's special, and Chris is as well. I mean, this kid's vision is unbelievable. He's got strength for his size as well. And he's part of that lightning crew, right? So he comes in, and uh, along with Nike, and, and, and even now we've got Darrell Smith, who's Darnell's little brother, a freshman. He's moved up, and he looks like a, a varsity running back as well. That depth at running back, uh, man, it's hard to think back to a Picayune team, guys, that has had depth at the running back position like that. Yeah, when you look at it, Slick, that's one, like, maybe one feature that makes this team at 10-1 and one going in uh, to the first round of the 5A playoffs this week a little different. Anything else about this uh, Picayune club that makes them different in your mind? I'm going to tell you one thing that's the biggest thing, and, and I mentioned the depth already at running back, and I'm just going to ask you guys, all three of you can answer. So think about put your Picayune fan hat on, and we're a typical Picayune team. You're seeing what you usually see against Picayune, good offensive line. Coach Edwards does a great job with that. Good running backs, good defense that gets after you. But what do we always say? It's postseason time, and we're concerned about teams that do what? Clay just motioned it. Throw the football. Guys, we've got a secondary that's legit. And watching these guys grow up in front of us has been pretty amazing. And right now, I don't I don't know what it is. We haven't seen a whole lot of miscues from these guys, but – you know, Nike Ratcliffe, he stands at 6'2", and, and he's covering wide receivers. These guys are all playing man. Chris Davis is playing man. Um, we've got Josiah Conti who blocks in at man as well. We've even got Dory in our linebacker who can come in and do some man as well. When you can play man coverage against the likes of Gaucher and George County and, and lock those guys down, that's pretty special. And these guys are also young, Clay. It's kind of like when, you're, when your kid's really young, they'll jump from anywhere, any height, knowing that you'll catch them. I don't think they even are, have the fear yet. They haven't learned it yet. So they're going out there and with a mindset of, okay, it's just another game. And I think that, that youth um, has played well for them. It, it hasn't gotten away yet, uh, but, man, they've looked incredible. And that's something as a Picayune fan you, you should be really excited about. David, just listening to Slick talk about that secondary, the youth – 
a lot of those guys are sophomores. Some of those guys are dual sport uh, athletes. Chris Davis and Kyler King uh, jump out. I, I made the comment to Slick off the air, off the record, some smooth athletes too, man, just real pretty. Like while they're doing it, uh, just looked the part. Been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, they've been a, a blast to watch. And I'm just going to say, and we've had him quite a few, might be one of the other coaches that we've interviewed the most. Who would not want to play for Coach Seth Hayden? I mean, the guy just gets everything out of the kids. I mean, I, you could line any of those kids up, and they would go like Ricky said. They, they're not scared, and he and well prepared. Um, and that and that goes down to the whole staff. I mean, you, um, not just Coach Hayden. You got uh, Smith on the D line, Summers at uh, linebacker. So I mean, these guys are really really prepared, and our cornerbacks. For, to be sophomores have locked down some amazing talent. I mean, I wasn't there at George County, but those that's a legit wide receiver out there going uh, Ole Miss, one of the best with Ricky's fifth best, fifth best in the state, and he doesn't – he's not even in the game. And you're looking at sophomores, and I, I haven't seen – you know, Ricky asked a question. I haven't seen that. I mean, I know when – uh, Breland and Acker were cornerbacks, and th that was a really good set of cornerbacks. But they were really known at the end of their career. These guys are just sophomores, and we're going to get to see them a couple more years. And like you said, they're just so smooth. They're they're great baseball players, multi-sport athletes, and uh, they're great kids. I mean, we have so much fun interviewing them. I mean, and they enjoy it. And I mean, you can you can hear it in a lot of those interviews. I and mean, uh, they really love us being out there. All right, and so y'all are bringing up the post-game uh, interviews. I'm not sure um, exactly who Birdman is, but he's one of the guys I've, I've enjoyed getting to know. And so when we talk about secondary play, sometimes that defensive line's their best friends. Even if they can cover, they may not have to cover for as long. But Birdman and then the sophomore Waller on the end, uh, kind of tell us what y'all have seen from that defensive line play. Well, there, there's a couple of them there. Uh, you mentioned one, uh, Javante Waller, and then we got J.B. McWilliams on the other side, Clay, and that's two sophomore bookends. And when you stand next to these guys, I mean, I wouldn't want to see any of these guys in a dark alley. And I'm, I'm 41 years old. They, they scare you to death. They get, it's got great size. And these guys are still growing. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty unbelievable. You know, we've, we've got a border collie puppy at, at the house, man, and he's, he's going to get a lot bigger than he is. And he chews on everything, and he's just a bull in the china shop now. And, and my wife tells me all the time, just imagine he's not through growing yet. That's what you think about when you see these kids because what they do now is pretty impressive alone, but they're still growing, Clay, and, and they're going to get bigger. You know, we're, we're going to lose Birdman. He, he is the senior guy on, up front, um, and, and he's going to be missed. But, you know, again, when you look at what's coming back, um, and I think there's a lot of guys on that freshman team right now that will probably be inserted inserted into some, if not starting roles, uh, mainly on the offensive line, maybe maybe even some on defense as soon as they, they come into this varsity squad next year. All right, guys. So we've talked about Picune standing in front of them on this first round of the 5A state playoffs. Hattiesburg, David, tell us what kind of what you know about Hattiesburg. I'll let you kind of say your spiel on what you know about the Tigers, and then I'll flip the same question around uh, for Slick, for any meat you left on the bone here. All right. Well, Hattiesburg just lost the jug game Saturday against Laurel. 
I think 50 to nothing. It was a very um, one-sided game. I think they ended up having negative six yards of offense. But, Clay, that'll happen when you lose your quarterback. I mean, they not only lost the quarterback, they, they're down two quarterbacks. So they, they're back there putting um, whatever running back they can, they can find to just take snaps. Their snaps weren't very good. Um, they, they got a good team. I mean, they're, they're junior heavy. So a lot of these kids are going to be back. Um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for them going against Picayune this week, in my opinion. But, uh, I mean, they're solid defensively, but can they hold up our, you know, stop our rushing attack for four quarters? Because I'm not sure they're going to be able to uh, to move the ball very effectively against this defense. So, I mean, if you want to get in a matchup, we'll get in that later, I guess, or, you, I mean, whatever you want to do. But I, I would look for a lot of trick plays from Hattiesburg this week, maybe a lot of onside kicks. And, I mean, they're going to have to do something different. I don't know what Ricky's got on his mind. Well, slick. So when you look at seeding and you look at trying to win a region, you're you're those are some of the goals, and they're a goal for a reason. the The end goal is to win a goal ball. When you set yourself up as a one seed, sometimes you get fortunate uh, in a four seed. But Hattiesburg, you have to think, even with what David has described there, an awful week uh, last week in a rival ball game against Laurel and the injuries. But in an elimination-type ball game, they have to have at least a puncher's chance. If my notes are good here, which, being braggadocious, they normally are, they've got two good wins on the year. They beat a good Wayne County team, and they beat a good West Jones team. How did they do that, and then what would be their recipe if really if they were to pull off a, a tremendous upset? What would they need to do against Picayune? Well, I think it starts with that defense that you mentioned that David mentioned as well. And, and you go back to that, that West Jones game and, and guys, that was a signature win for them. And they did that, um, you know, getting four turnovers uh, from their defense and this defensive group, you know, they, they've got a special group up, uh, a group up front. They've always got some good size and really leading that defensive uh, group is going to be their big defensive end. He's only a junior guys. Uh, his name is Tobias Hilton. Uh, he came into his high school career as a wide receiver, moved to the DM, D inside uh, as a sophomore, and put up a great campaign. He's 6'3", 217. Um, he wreaks a lot of havoc up front. They're going to have to be great in this offense that, that they have. And Dave mentioned the injuries. And right now, it's hard really to know what they're going to do. The guy that was playing the quarterback position when the uh, initial starting quarterback went down, um, he was a converted running back. And uh, that's Tavares Wade, number one. He's, he's 202 pounds, and he was handing the ball to a guy named um, John Weathersby, number five, who is their tailback. And and offensively, what they do, it's not going to be anything special that Picayune hasn't seen. They'll come out with some three wide receiver sets. They'll run some four wides. They'll use a tight end some. They'll keep a running back back there. You'll see a lot of zone read stuff, and they're going to run at the teeth of the defense with those big running backs. Now, if they're healthy, they can weigh on you. They've got a pretty big offensive line as well. Now, they will do some RPO, that run-pass option. We haven't seen a lot of that, but it's not real impressive when you think about the quarterback rolls out, the wide receiver just squats on the line of scrimmage, and if the corner comes up, he dumps it over, and that's kind of their, their version of the RPO. They've got some good uh, leggy, kind of rangy receivers they can throw it down the field to, but the biggest key for Hattiesburg, Clay, is going to be when you look at them on film, 
they have looked sloppy to the point where it sticks out a lot. A lot of pre-snap penalties. We'll see those guys, uh, you know, Aramel won over the head of the quarterback in the shotgun. We've seen that a lot even in that West Jones game. That was a pretty sloppy ball game that they were on the, the business end of and were able to win that game. So that's, that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to be really, really good on offense because if you make a mistake against this Picayune team, they will, they will gash you for it. So they can't have that. And with all their question marks, and not to mention, Clay, and I'll say this last thing, those two guys I mentioned uh, on offense, those two big backs, they played a big role on the defense as well. They played in the linebacker positions. So you're going to have to replace them there if they are out. So a lot of question marks there. Going to have to be their best football they've ever played. Well, you know, and guys, y'all been following them all year with the with the Picking Post Game podcast. But these two teams are not strangers to each other because it was just a year ago that they were in the district with Picking, and then they had some redistrict because some teams moved up and they moved up there. So these two these two teams are no stranger. And Dave, we all know that it's you know it, you could take the PRC Picking rival, you could take all these rivalries, but these two teams. Uh, like I said, they're they're no stranger to each other when they get on the football field. No, they're not, Jeff, and that's a great point. Um, we hadn't even really brought up or thought of, and I, I mean, I talked to Charlie, the radio guy, and and I told him you're not going to see anything different from us, and he said he wouldn't expect anything different than what he's seen. Picking's going to come right at you and run, and even before their quarterbacks went out, they were a run heavy team. They they um. He said they were starting to open it up a little more and throw it, but they they still were really, really running. They were a power-off running team out of the spread, and that's what a lot of those teams are. And I asked him, and the thing is, they haven't really played a team that lines up like Picayune. Almost every team they play is a spread team. Now, Wayne County did go to a uh, more of a running attack. They got a new uh, coach from – uh, Alabama, and they run a lot under center now, more than traditionally what you would see from Wayne County. So that's really the only team they've really seen that would even be close to what they're going to see against uh, Picayune. Yeah, you know, Co- Coach Tony Vance, he's in his ninth season, guys at Hattiesburg, and he does a great job. Uh, if you think he's going to roll over um, this week and, 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 and tuck it away, he's not going to do that. He's going to come out trying to win this football game. And, you know, if you listen to some of the interviews he's, he's done uh, with some of the papers and local sports shows he's praised his special teams as well and and they're going to also have to be pretty fantastic and I think we you know we could look for some onside kicks and you go back to special teams guys and and that 14-13 win they had at Wayne County was off of a a blocked PAT by his team so they they are going to have to play good really on every level you know we talk about Beamer ball uh, they're going to have to play it for sure. Coach Vance, uh, a guy that spent a ton of time with us a couple years ago. He gave us about an hour of his night, huh, Jeff? Yeah. He was a, a great interview to us. He was a really fun guy to visit with. The guy that uh, Dave has mentioned, Charlie Rogers, actually uh, a guy that David hooked us up with, and we were able to have him on the show a couple times. Just a phenomenal dude and um, just a just the hands and feet of the Lord there with Charlie, with what he does uh, for his his day job. And so we appreciate that Hattiesburg program. They've been uh, good to the podcast, but uh, they're going to have their hands full on Friday night. When we return, we will take a look around at the rest of the 5A brackets, and we'll keep it local to Picayune and what maybe their path will be, but we'll take a gaze around and see what else is in this 5A lay of the land. Johnson Farms and Meat Market. 
Where can you find a full service butcher shop that carries only the finest beef? From Mississippi farm raised corn fed cattle? Why that would be Johnson Farms and Meat Market in Picayune. Shop at johnsonfarms.com or stop in at the corner of Highway 11 and North Hall in Picayune. Johnson Farms and Meat Market, where quality beef begins. If you're looking for granite, quartz, quartzite, or marble, come see Angela Burmaster at Exotic Stones, located at 6985 Highway 11 North in Carrier, Mississippi, or at their brand new showroom, located at 1171 Highway 90 in Bay St. Louis. Angela and her staff will help you select the perfect color scheme and will fabricate and install any residential or commercial project that you have. Angela's low prices and personal touch can't be beat. Also, mention the Talking Ball podcast and Angela will throw in a free sink with your installation. For the carrier location, call 601-798-4334 or for the Bay St. Louis showroom, call 228-344-3003. All right, Slick, so we have the 5A brackets now laid out in front of us. Kind of tell our listeners, particularly the Picune fans, how these matchups got the way they are. What took place a week ago? Well, Clay, we'll start with Region 3-5A, and that's going to be um, the the group that, that Picune and, and, and our conference is going to be playing. And, you know, Hattiesburg's role in shaping up how that looked, um, it was all really them. And you know, this is a team who, you know, Saturday night, you know, Hattiesburg headed due north, uh, I-59, to face the Laurel, the Laurel Tornadoes uh, between the bricks, you know, for their anticipated uh, battle for the Little Brown Jug rivalry game that uh, everyone loves to, to watch in that area. But, man, that game had a lot more implications. It was a lot more intriguing this year probably than it has been in the past because they, they went into that game, and, and, and here's what happened. You know, Hattiesburg entered that game with a 5-1 and one record in region play including a huge upset. You mentioned that to Wes Jones, the defending 5A state champions. They also took down Wayne County, but a loss to Brookhaven created a plethora of scenarios that Dave talked about a little bit in our podcast last week. And uh, that was all decided uh, once once Laurel routed Hattiesburg. Hey, Slick, just to, let me interrupt you. I was watching, like, so anytime I get downtime, I watch the Bourne movies just, like, basically on repeat. And Brandon Shields, which David shared it, but, you know, Brandon Shields puts those scenarios together, and he had that tweet for this region. And I was watching the first Born movie, and he's sitting down, and he's like, it's the one where he doesn't really know what he is or whatever. And he was like, I don't know, but I know that I know every tag number that's in the parking lot. And I felt like that's how Brandon Shields' mind must have been working when he laid out, like, all that – could have happened I was like it reminded me so much of that but go ahead sorry to interrupt no, you brother no, and you're right it, and it, it was crazy and, and Dave was trying to he, he was blowing my mind talking through some of it but you know w- once it was all done Clay and, and, and the smoke settled um, we had basically West Jones took the one seed Brookhaven had the two Laurel the three and uh, Hattiesburg grabbed the four spot and, and unfortunately for Wayne County uh, that game eliminated them so that's kind of how we played out that that three five a side so, David, looking, that being said, and now that everything is kind of figured out, we've broken down the Picune-Hattiesburg game, and we've got that thing, like, nailed out. There, you could put a spread and a money line and everything else on that one the way that we have it 
laid out. Let's look at the matchup in, in Brookhaven and East Central that, that Picayune-Hattiesburg uh, would, would get in the next round. Well, I think East Central's defense is where they're going to rely on. I think they've moved their quarter uh, quarterback, Hugger. I think he's been playing more of a running back role, and he's probably their best athlete. He is their best athlete on the team. He's very fast. Um, Gay Picune Fitz came back from a shoulder injury. Um, Brookhaven, talking to Charlie, I'm going to go back to him. He – he wasn't. He was kind of surprised that they ended up being the two seed. They did beat, you know, they did beat Hattiesburg, and then they beat Laurel. Like so, they won by, you know, when you have a three-team um, tie, usually it's hard to say. One team usually never has the victory over both teams, but Brookhaven had that. So Brookhaven was able to slide in, get the home playoff game, and if I know everyone in Picayune is familiar, you do not. It's never good to go play at Old Brook. I mean, so East Central's going to have their hands full. It's a long drive for them to go over there. But I I feel confident that East Central's going to pull this victory out. And uh, just from talking and hearing about Brookhaven a little bit, haven't watched film on them, so I'm not basing this off of what I've seen from them. But uh, East Central's defense, I think, will keep them in that game. So, Slick, if that played out, and we get to do this, right, we don't have to worry about one week at a time. We can air it out. If Picayune advances, East Central advances, that's a game that y'all saw earlier in the year. You actually – y'all had Coach Collins on y'all's preview show. Um, Coach Collins, as Jeff has stated uh, in, in previous weeks, that they're no stranger either from his days uh, with the Blue Devils. How would you see that kind of matchup uh, laying out if it was Picayune East Central there in the second round? I think it'll be a slugfest, and I think that uh, East Central is is praying right now that that's exactly what happens because they want it. They want to play us again. Um, that game got really chippy down towards the end. A lot of jawing back and forth. A lot of uh, unpleasantries um, were being exchanged. Uh, between the kids and, and they're they're waiting for playoffs to come back so and honestly you know I, I think that that's still a winnable game for Picayune but I think that that's a better matchup for East Central's defense uh, East Central didn't do very well at all against George County with their athletes that they have they just don't have the secondary to cover but they do have some guys that are built to get in that box and come up and tackle well and too if if it ends that way Picayune East Central it's back at East Central because East Central is on the road it's, it's not it's coming to Picayune David shaking his head. Uh, I would think they would – I would thought East Central would host because they are traveling to Brookhaven. The years past they would have, Jeff, but they changed they that changed rule. It. Okay. And with I knew they changed a, it with some. I didn't know they – Well, with 5A and 6A and 1A, they have one less week of playoffs. So, that's you. where that doesn't factor in. You cannot – if you win your district, you cannot go on the road and play a lower-seeded district team. Okay. And they so, changed it due to Popperville having to go to Purvis years ago, I which was that. criminal. We were the one seed in the district. Purvis kept advancing. We had to go play the three seed in our own district. And so, after that, the state stepped in and, and made that change. And, and it's, it's a good change. Don't yeah, no, it change. was a great change. And um, so, that was a, a good change. But it would be like Slick saying it'd be a rock fight inside of the box. I mean, they'd be so many people jammed in the box offensively and defensively. They would really get after one another there. Yeah, it's uh, and to go back to it, Picunes can only if they keep winning, and we're we're talking a lot of ifs because we can like like you said, Clay, it, it can happen. We're, I mean, we can do that. P 
Picune's only road team they'll have to face is West Jones. So they, they're going to be home against anybody else. West Jones is in the driver's seat to host everything. Gaucher is the only team that could never play at home. So they could – I mean, they even if uh, – Who's the four? If Hattiesburg won out. Look at this man. He delivered more than snack cakes. Now, he done laid out the home and the way scenario. Little Debbie man coming through. The only way Hattiesburg could uh, host would be against Gaucher. So, the way – because the lower region team gets the home field advantage this year. Next year, the higher-seeded team. I mean, which you're probably familiar. You you understand that with the uh, 4A playoff scenario stuff too. But, uh, I I mean, like – We'll go back to the East Central one real quick to end, but if they play Picayune, you, you're you going to get your money's worth in that one. It's going to be very, very chippy. I, to me, Ricky, that was the most intense game we had all year. It it, it really was, and and you're, we're going to have to keep our, our wits about us, keep our heads straight because, again, that, that'll be a game where if you're not careful, you'll get ejected. Yeah. So we're going to have to really – we get to that point, you know, we need to take care of our, our first game first. Um, and, you know, and what's cool, guys, I mean, I know it's – Kind of like when we get into bowl season, you know, we're all we all love the SEC. You kind of pull for your your side, and um, I'd love to see all four of our teams advance out. Um, I, I think Gaucher probably has the, the biggest uphill battle this week in West Johns, but we've seen them too, man, and they can be dangerous. Yeah, that quarterback that's going to roll in to Coach Pearson and them's place in West Johns, the Mustangs. He Scott Pearson is a phenomenal coach, like just so good at West Johns, and but they've got. When when you look at uh, West Jones, they lost to Madison Central. That's understandable. But, look, this is a Hattiesburg team that took half a hundred against Laurel. They lost to that Hattiesburg team. You described it. Turn the ball over a ton. You do this with a Gaucher kid. Like, he's, he's not going to have a lot of grace with you. You start laying it on the ground. Uh, Jeff saw, saw him up close and impersonal. The Gators can make some some funky stuff happen in that one too, so it wouldn't be too far fetched. What about the George County Laurel game? I think you and Dave kind of see that one uh, differently. We'll let Dave get a, a first take on it, and then Slick, we'll let you talk about George County and that young quarterback. Yeah, see, I I wasn't there for the George County, so only thing I've seen from them is on film, and I listened to the game, but. With them not being able to stop Picune's rushing attack and Laurel having a big, heavy back back there that really toasts the rock really hard and run, I mean, runs really hard, I think I think that's going to give them fits. Now, can can George County win? By God, yes, they can. I mean, they got athletes all over the field. They got one uh, one of the best receivers in the state. Um, the running back is actually way better than I mean he was good and I I told Ricky about him I was like. I don't know, but he's he's faster than I thought, and and I already they already said he was fast, and uh, and Picayune kind of got got a break. Um, the quarterback got out, got hurt, and they had to throw a freshman in there, and he's not a normal freshman, and uh, learn from some people down on the coast. He's actually a half brother to uh, Fryfogel, so I mean that's that's saying a lot, you know, like they they. Yeah, yeah, that's what Ricky said. When he, Ricky found out, he's like, well, that makes sense. Like, he's just – um. so, I, I I mean, George County has a chance. I, I just – watching Laurel on play that Hattiesburg game, their defense I, I think has a really good chance of shutting down George County enough and keeping the ball away from George County. 
Slick, your thoughts on what I've got a note here, and then I'll let you uh, speak to it. George County, since the freshman quarterback has taken over, has scored 47 and 42. Now, one of those was in a loss, but it doesn't look like the offense has really checked up much. Yeah, that, that's Deuce Knight, and, and he's, he's, again, he's one of those puppies that's still growing that we've been talking about. Um, so we're going to have to face him for a long time. He is a freshman that like Dave mentioned, but I'm, I'm going to go to the other side of the ball, and it seems a little odd when we're talking about George County, but I'm going to go back to something, Dave, that, that you will remember, and we talked about this a little bit. George County's defense and, and the way they typically ran their defense, they would come out with three down linemen, they would walk the rest of the other guys up. So seven guys were standing up. They didn't do that in the first half against Picayune. They got cute and tried something different. They came back to that in the second half, and they were stopping us a little bit. But at that time, we had enough momentum and enough of a lead to where we were able to hold off and pull away a little bit. So George County, I think, is a little better on defense than what we saw. And, you know, this this freshman quarterback, I mean, he, he got hurled into a game against a tough team. He's started to settle in now, Clay, and he's playing a little bit better. Um, I'm, I'm going to take George County in that one. I'm going to say let, we need to be watching that one. I think it's going to be a good one. Well, if y'all can split it and buy dinner on Jeff's card, <laughs> regardless of how, how that one plays out. Jeff, let's look up top, man, in the north and, and see what – what we have potentially coming is it either need to be spoken right up there at the top. Yep. Good gracious, yeah, it's, man. Yeah, it's West Point. West Our Point is there. Every The only team, uh, you know, you're not seeing up there was a Startville team at one time. But I thought they moved. They might have moved up in, in class or something. But They're 6A. Yeah, they yeah. moved up. Uh, but West Point has been there. They play Ridgeland. Uh, this week, that's a one versus four matchup right there. So that's uh, Coach Teddy Dice take yep. at Ridgeland trying to uh, do what he does everywhere he goes and build a winner. And so that's a interesting matchup. West Point had a couple COVID bangs earlier, a couple COVID yep. forfeits, if you will, but they're undefeated on the uh, football field. Boy, they are Coach Hamlis and what they do is just unbelievable, man. At West Point, mm. and then you got Pittsburgh and Cleveland Central, Pittsburgh. Uh, has been there too. <laughs> That's a team that everybody around the state knows. Uh, Neshoba Central, Lake Comerot. Comerot has always been there with the 5A from the north. And then a team that me and you were talking about, Clay, in Lafayette. They play in Holmes uh, County Central, Lafayette. We're familiar with them from the 4A side, uh, seeing Popperville play uh, Lafayette. They have moved up to the 5A and um, it, that's an interesting matchup. It's potential uh, to see Lafayette and West Point uh, you know, one of them two teams probably come out the north. Yep, that is. And then Neshoba Central, a team that uh, David and I got a chance to experience on the softball side in a state championship. They've had a heck of a year uh, on the north end as well. Yeah, they're undefeated, I believe, Clay. And um, they're looking at the other one side. So I predict them to, to get past the first round. And that second game, Lafayette's probably going to be a tough matchup if they get by. And Holmes County Central's had some injuries. I know the Rogers kid, who's a phenomenal um, cornerback, one of the top ones in the country, I think his dad coaches the team. And so he's uh commit to uh, Miami. Um, but he's hurt, so he's not in the game. So he's been out all season. Um, I don't know how much that will affect them. Obviously, they made the playoffs. So they all, they got a good team. My prediction in the north is going to be West Point. I'll just throw that out there. It's not a hard pick. Um, <laughs> but I do believe Neshoba will play them. And uh, 
Actually, Neshoba had a great team last year that running back that's at uh, Auburn. I believe he came from Neshoba, if I'm not mistaken. But um, So they got a good program there. They're dynasty in softball. Actually, you do not want to have to play them in softball. You guys just – they're they just – they're the top – got to be one of the top softball programs in the whole country as far as uh, high school goes. But um, they're doing it now on the football field. Yep, so that kind of gives us the lay of the land, the 5A – We've got the 4A bracket and, and Popperville's kind of path already covered there. Let's look a classification up, the Mississippi's uh, top classification in 6A and something that jumps straight off. We normally start in the south and we'll go there, but look at this ball game at the north, South Panola against Oxford. What two dynamite uh, coaches, one and Coach Cutcliffe and then the other and Coach Woods and South Panola. How much? It just doesn't get a lot better than that for a first-round matchup with South Panola and Oxford. That'll be a lot of fun to kind of see that score roll in. And it was just a few years ago we got to see Oxford with our own eyes up there at the Rock when uh, I think it was Oak Grove that played them. And that was a that was a great ball game come down t- toward the last quarter with Oxford uh, you know, pulling that pulling that one out. Uh, and, you know, to stay up north, you, you mentioned South Panola and Oxford, but then you got Madison Central uh, and DeSoto Central. Madison, Madison Central's there, <laughs> you know, just they, they come yeah. in and out all the time, but they're, they're there just about all the time in the mix. Clay, I'd like to see them play baseball right after that. How about that? <laughs> yeah. DeSoto Central, Madison that Central baseball be game? Yeah, there's I no mean, doubt. No two of the best baseball it. team programs in the state right there going at it in football. Absolutely, and you mentioned uh, Oxford. We were had the honor to have Coach Cutcliffe on. What a class dude he was to take uh, 20 or 30 minutes with us in the podcast. So we appreciate that. We got to get Coach Woods on, man. We got to make uh, that. So you mentioned Starkville just moments ago. There they are, Jeff, in that uh, 6A bracket, 10-1 and one on the year. They've got a sophomore quarterback, does Coach Chris Jones and Trey Petty. He's just a sophomore and he's replacing a, a big shoes to fill, but he's getting it done, man. Ten and one, their lone loss, interesting enough, is to that Oxford team. So that Oxford, South Panola, all these games have ties. They're so fun to kind of connect and see. Uh, but Coach Jones, I have Starkville ready to rock and roll for playoff time. Now, uh, Clinton at South Haven, um, that should be a fun matchup as well. That North is going to be a lot of fun to see those scores kind of roll in uh, late on Friday night. And then when you get to the South end, look, this South end of 6A has been beat up on and talked about because of the way this bottom half normally turns out. Ricky talked about a region basically doing a, a clean sweep just moments ago. That's happened or a three and one has happened so many times to this coast region, but look what Ocean Springs has waiting this year. Can they prove the South to be legit and to be real is the question. Uh, Coach Pinnock and then his quarterback and Herbert have been so good, have so spread, has so many good weapons to use, and let's see how little play all play out in these playoffs. That's the one seed. Uh, for Ocean Springs, they'll take on Pearl. Pearl's a good football team. That four seed every year from that region is a good team because they the five seed's normally a good team that's left at home to think about it. And then Oak Grove is going to take on 
Gulfport. It will be interesting to see what Oak Grove has done. What a program that Coach Causey, of course, pick you native here. We're always so proud of what Russell Mitchell does with that offense year in and year out. Y'all saw Gulfport earlier in the year. Kind of tell us what y'all think about uh, Gulfport in general and maybe their chance against what's going to be a great Oak Grove team. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be tough. I mean, and I got to go back to Ocean Springs. Like you mentioned Hubbard, and uh, this is a kid who uh, was really pegged as a run-only quarterback last year as a sophomore. He's came in junior, and, boy, he's really proved everyone wrong. And this is a very complete team. So if you look at their schedule, I mean, the only team that got close to them was the, their opener against Clinton. It was a 45-44 overtime game. But, Clay, they went through a series where they went through three games and only had a total of six points scored on their defense. So they can score, they can throw it, they can run it, and they can play defense. They're going to be really, really tough. I think Gulfport's going to have their their hands full. Yeah, and like you went back to Ocean Springs, and since you went back there, I had a nugget that I didn't use. They've outscored their opponent slick by nearly 300 points this year. Clinton's the only one that came close, but what that tells you about Clinton is they didn't win – they're decent where they are. Like, how good is that district? And then how will that match up as we see um, exactly what kind of plays out? Let's look around. Oak Grove, Gulfport. I want y'all's thoughts. Can Gulfport hang with Oak Grove? What type of ball game will that be, David? I think they can. I think Gulfport, uh, they're going to have to have a few bounces their way. I mean, obviously, the quarterback, they got a really good quarterback, got plenty of athletes on defense. Um, Oak Grove, to me, is not Oak Grove last year or the year before. Um, I think they're down a little bit. But being Look down at that, a little man. bit. That's where they've gotten that program but to. A right. touchdown, still pretty good. That's good. That's what I was just about to say. Like I'm, I'm calling them down because you just expect perfection from Oak Grove the last few years. Um, I, I, I think Oak Grove will probably pull it out. But Gulfport, to me, does have a chance. Um but I would go with um, Oak Grove winning that one. And then, look, a team that certainly y'all are familiar with, with it being Picune's lone loss. And D'Iverville and Warren Central, a good friend of our, Brandon Davis, is the PA voice for Warren Central. So I kind of keep them out the corner of our eye and, and see what they're – that's a tough Vikings team. Uh, but D'Iverville, I'm assuming, must be uh, really legit under Coach – uh, Larry Dolan, we saw Coach Dolan was honored uh, with the Coast Coach of the Year last night, and he's got a good club. They they really do, and, and we got to see them firsthand. That was one really Picayune's only loss um, of the season was against them. It was a 27-13 game, and they are. They're very good. They're very big up front on both sides of the football. They've got a lot of skill guys that have some good size as well. Pretty good quarterback, kid that uh, came over from Stanislaus uh, that, that's there. So – They've got some good athletes. The, the only thing, Clay, that, that kind of worries me a little bit with Gauthier, as good as they've been, is uh, they haven't been very consistent uh, this year uh, on that side. And you look back a game against Pascagoula that they only won 27-25, to 25, um, came back and took care of uh, Hancock, was in a close one with Gulfport. Um, the Harrison Central game was a pretty close one as well. And even St. Martin wasn't really a runaway for them. So – you almost wonder, are they not gelling at the right time? I think they started better, Dave, to me, than, than they, they ended the season. Uh, maybe just a little flatter than they would need to be for playoff time. Yeah, their defense is going to have to carry them, and it has all year. Um, 
They, to me, have one of the – outside of Ocean Springs, you obviously talked about how good their defense is. Diablo has probably the second-best defense on the coast. Um, they they really got – they're really big up front, and we talked about it. I don't know what kind of offense um, Warren Central runs, but if, if they run a run-heavy team, then Diablo I, – I think Diablo should be able to handle that. And uh, it's – it's the offense. I mean, we seen uh, the running back Lenore. Really, I think that was who it was. I mean, he had a really big game, and then uh, the the wide receiver tight end um, Colton DeShazo. He, I think he got an award. I seen on Twitter too. So from the coast, and a really good athlete. They got athletes on offense. I just don't know if uh, why they haven't scored more points. But um, I would roll with Diaverville in that game, not knowing anything about Warren Central, but. If you got a good defense, this is the time of the year you want to have it, and because uh, it really comes in handy in the playoffs when you can pull that defense out. Absolutely. Let's look at the next game, so to speak, on the list, and that's Harrison Central having to go to man, just a really beautiful place by all accounts from pictures and videos that I've seen, and that's Brandon's uh, football facilities, the Bulldogs. Uh, Jake Wimberly, the voice of the Bulldogs, such, does such a tremendous job. Uh, with their coverage, and they're 8-2. and two. They are the one seed. And Harrison Central got off to such a good start, but they've lost three of their last four, so they may have their hands full on the road up there at Brandon. Yeah, Harrison Central's got a tough task. You don't – I mean, going up to Brandon in the playoffs, and um, it's a consistent team that's in the playoffs year after year. Harrison Central, a program that seems to be on the rise. Um you, they started out like wildfire. Um, one of the last uh, remaining undefeated teams in, on the coast, and then they kind of just, like you said, fell off. And uh, I mean, but I mean, we say they fell off, Clay. But I mean, the Hyperville and Ocean Springs aren't aren't no pushovers. So you just run into sometimes you just run into some better teams, and uh, that's probably what happened to Ocean Springs. And they got a lot of. I want to say. They, they get a lot of turnovers. Um, I've seen their list of, like, their defensive backs um, must be pretty good because I've, I've seen their list of uh, top um, interceptions on the coast, and I want to say they got a guy, two guys on the list maybe, if I'm not mistaken. But um, defense goes back to that defense. Um, if their defense can really keep them in the game, maybe they can get a score here and there and, and keep it close with Brandon. But – that's going to be a tall task for Harrison Central. I don't know if Ricky has any thoughts on that one. No, I agree. I think it's going to be it is going to be a tough one for them. And when you look at how they fared in district play, I mean they they got into some really every game was really close um, in district. And of course, as you mentioned, you know when you lose your your last two to the likes of Diaverville and Ocean Springs, that's that's never going to be good for you. But I uh, mean, you thought they could have did a little better. I mean, even with St. Martin and Hancock and. Those teams just aren't juggernauts in the district. They were still pretty close games. They lost a one-point contest at Gulfport. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's. But again, you know, here we are. I mean, who knows? I mean, who thought that a, that a Lauder a Lauderdale team with a two and six record would have went and played Moss Point last year, beat them, and then got to the second round and lost a three nothing contest to Summerall. Almost went what to South State. Um, so anything can happen this time of year. That's what makes it so fun. Yep. And speaking of anything that can happen. 
Jeff, when you look at uh, the three, the two, and the one A, we're trying to get all A's tonight, something we've <laughs> rarely done in our, our lives. But uh, a team that stands out, I know this group to our right got to see him. We're familiar with Coach Mancuso. Uh, that's JDC, Jeff Davis on the three A level. It's hard to co uh, count Coach Mancuso out. An another team that stands out on that three A uh, level is Winona, and then look Tyler Town. They seem to be there every year. They're eleven and zero. You have Riley, who's played tremendous football. They're eight and three, and I'm forgetting the kid's first name. I should have wrote down, but Mr. Perkins is going to be for our state what Mr. Otis was this year. He's going to garner all kinds of attention uh, there for Riley. When you look up the junior class and what uh, Mr. Perkins is going to mean. Uh, to that junior group recruiting. He's going to have all kinds of eyeballs on him. Anything jump out at you get guys there on the 3A level? Well, we got to see Malcolm Hartsong up close and personal. And, and Dave, I mean, I know, we, you know we've been pretty, pretty high on uh, Deion Bilbo for uh, all the right reasons this year. He's deserved all of that. But uh, Malcolm Hartsong might have been the best athlete we saw this year. Um, and I know that's hard to say, but – I mean, you look at what he did. I mean, he he single-handedly torched us. Uh, special teams. I mean, he he really ended um, any any shot of us kicking the ball deep after that game because when he touched the ball, he had a chance to score. Um, he just had a different speed level. And I mean, again, we faced some good athletes, but he had a gear that I don't think anyone else has, has had that we played against this year. And they gave us a lot of trouble, a lot of fits. I mean, you get a little more talent around that that team. Uh, with what that kid can do, and that's pretty special. He's probably the best-kept secret in the state of Mississippi. Yeah, and Clay kind of filled us in, like, hey, there's a guy, man. We watched him last year play cornerback and uh, and then told it. I think he's wearing a new number, and it didn't take us long to figure out what number <laughs> he was. I mean, the kid is special, and they say, I mean, the Tyler Towns got that kid that finished number one in the country in uh, 100 meters. Uh so he went over to Oregon and ran, and uh, so he's a track star, going to go play for Lane Kiffin, I believe. He's committed there. And Riley, I can't remember the kid's name either, Clay, but I've seen a lot of stuff on him. That that matchup has to be uh, potentially one of the best matchups in the third uh, – that would be the third round, correct, for the, if, if they play each other. So next week would be the third round for that. And that – that could be a really, really good game. From looking at it, I don't, I don't know a ton about you know three A other than we got to see Jeff Davis, but it looks like Jeff Davis got in the better half, in my opinion. Not, not, not taking away from Hazelhurst or McGee, who you know you get in that, <laughs> you get in that Mississippi baseball group, and oh, wow. man, that's so funny mm. listening to him talk. But uh, I think McGee's got a great team, and um, I mean Enterprise. I mean they. The first rounds are really tough, really hard to gauge in those, in those, you know, four A's and the three A's that started a week earlier. But um, Jeff Davis, I'm not going to count them out in the playoffs. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up at in, at least in South State. And then the winner of Tyler Town and Riley is going to be who I think is going to win out in, uh, you know, that that three A. Jeff, when you look at it, this is kind of the way I look at it. And I may be wrong. I'm certainly wrong a lot, but. Five and six A, your record means a lot to me this time of year. But when you get into these lower A's, sometimes it's okay if you're a Coach Mancuso with that six and four record. 
to roll in. It doesn't have to be gaudy because a lot of time these veteran coaches at these smaller A's, we've seen it with Coach Beach at the 4A level, he's going to schedule some people that it would take a pretty, pretty, pretty good effort from his team to win on that night against a 5 or a 6A. So what can kind of get lost when you go 4A and down is you look at some of these records and you're thinking, man, they may be down a touch or they're not this or that. Well, no. Coach Mancuso comes over and plays a picune or whatever. And so sometimes uh, these records can kind of fool you in the lower A's. Yeah, they, they really can. And even teams and coaches from the north knows Coach Mancuso and Jeff Davis. I mean, he hasn't won the state championships. He's won by, you know, of course they play their district. You can only play what your district gives you. But like you had mentioned, Clay, with uh, Coach Jay Beach and Coach Mancuso, their so-called preseason that we call it before you get in district play, they're playing 6A schools. They're playing 5A schools. Uh, they'll go across and grab an Alabama team or Louisiana team and play you know, play some of them in the early seasons, uh, early games of the season because they want to know what their team is about when they get into district. And Coach Mancuso, I mean, he's – we he they run the wings wing T style offense and there is there's only maybe a handful and I can count maybe three that know that wing T and can run it to perfection. One is just about twenty miles north in Poplarville. Coach Mancuso's another one. Coach Collins down at East Central's another one. So you can, you can't if if you were just looking at this board here, looking at the north, looking at the south, all eyes are going to be on on Jeff Davis or Coach Mancuso just because of the reputation he holds from hosting hoisting so many golden footballs. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And uh, go ahead, Slick. Oh no, I was going to say you got to swallow your pride to do that. And and you know when you guys said that, it just made me think about last year and, and the, the Poplarville Hornet team that what maybe I think they won one game, Clay, out of conference. And if you would have told even the Poplarville fans that love the team. You tell them, hey, don't worry about it. We're going we're gonna to actually have a blowout for South State. It would have been hard to believe that, but that's exactly what happened. Doing what you said, you got to be willing to swallow your pride and not worry about that non-conference. It's about getting better and prepping for what counts, which is this right here. Yeah, and, and getting back to what you're talking about in, in scheduling, I was listening to Coach Mancuso talk to his team because I was trying to get that interview with uh, Malcolm and he said that that's why we schedule these teams. We schedule a Picayune who's going to compete for 5A because it's going to make us better. But then also, Clay, I mean, when he was at Bassfield, I know he had problems because he had some really good teams there. A lot of 5A teams don't want to play, play down that far because you think about it says a lot for Jeff Davis if they win it, but it really doesn't say a lot for you if you lose that game. So for Coach Stogner to go down and play a really – which was – was a team worthy of playing Picayune, but then you lose that game, and then it kind of, you know, kind of a lot of talk goes around, and it doesn't uh, bode well for you losing a game like that. So it's for both sides. I want to say, you know, it takes a lot for a bigger school to go down and play a smaller school. I agree completely. And as we move through the playoffs, it's something Jeff and I have done in years past. When we get to that um, South State week or when we get to the championships weeks we'll try to reach out to the one two a and three a coaches we always uh, try to do that and try to have some of those guys on our program leading up and we promise that we'll cover them in a little bit more depth when we get to that level i can't thank uh slick and dave enough it's been awesome to kind of uh chop up these different scenarios and air it out and to jason 
who was on the uh, the show via phone and earlier, or I guess later in this episode. I'm trying to think where we are even recording now, but he'll be on uh, this episode. We appreciate y'all joining us tonight. Yeah, Clay, it's been a blast. I, I want to thank, I know we said it in the beginning, but I want to thank you and Jeff for allowing me and Ricky to follow along with Picayune. It's just been a blast, and I mean – and, and the coaches and the players and the fans that have listened and and uh, I mean they've welcomed us. Me and Ricky can go walk out there and, and it says a lot. I mean to me and Ricky too, I know, but um, it says a lot to that coaching staff and those players. And I mean we we get recognized as coaches sometimes being out there because uh, wearing our talking ball y'all uh, maroon shirts that we got made that look fantastic, and we look like coaches. I mean, we have I've had referees come up and talk to me like I'm a coach. And I'm like, man, I, I'm – That's good or bad. Yeah, I mean, I'm wearing <laughs> blue jeans. I don't think I'm going to be a coach. But but uh, I'll, I'll thank you all for letting us do it. It's been a blast and um, meeting new people and got to interview kids. And it's, it's been a whole lot of fun. And, and thanks for letting me be on the round table. Now I can take that off my bucket list. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, I'll echo what David said. You know, a lot of thanks to you guys. I mean, what we're doing is is just fun for us. I mean, this is what we're, we'll sit around and do anyway. And now we have a – you know, a little bit of a more of an audience to do it for and to do it too, and been a lot of fun. And and I think um, the average person doesn't realize what all goes on behind the scenes. And it's not just us; we just drive at the game and do our thing. But you guys do a lot. You know, Clay calls a lot and uh, checks in, uh, asks a lot of questions. You know, Jeff's up a lot late on Friday night, making sure we have these things ready for people uh, to to listen over their their morning coffee. So thank you, Jeff, and uh, for all that you do. And um, yeah, I tell you, man, with this cool weather, it's not Christmas yet, but it sure does feel like the most wonderful time of the year, especially if we're still doing this this late in the year. So uh, it's, that's great. Yeah, like I told Baker earlier as we signed off, how about we all get together about that Thursday uh, night before these uh, state championship weekend takes place on that Friday and Saturday and have some more uh, football to talk about would really be nice. So we'll, we'll hope for that for our programs in our area. As I always say, we appreciate – our sponsors and our listeners, and Jeff making sure I'm not just talking uh, to the air here. So thank you, Jeff, and um, thank you for listening to this episode of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. How do you unwind? Whether it's hunting, riding horses, or just sitting around a campfire, it's better on land you own. Southern Ag Credit can finance that land. Give our Gulf Port office a call at 228-832-5582 or visit us online at southernagcredit.com. The Labor and Delivery Unit at Highland Community Hospital is proud to welcome new babies and support growing families in our community. Our qualified, caring staff, along with state-of-the-art technology, Make Highland Community Hospital a wonderful place to welcome your new baby. So call 601-358-9422 to schedule your appointment today or visit highlandch.com forward slash here for you. Now joining the podcast, a good friend of ours. And of course, if you've listened for any time, you know a good friend of the show, Jason Baker, a guy that wears many hats. He's the voice of the Lady Eagles on the women's basketball side, on the ESPN Plus side for USM. He's the voice there. But most importantly for what we're going to have him on tonight, he is the sideline analyst slash color analyst for our Popperville 
broadcast. So after all that, Jason Baker, welcome into the podcast. <laughs> Well, look, Jeff and I are just glad to steal uh, some of your time today. Got to call a pretty historic win earlier um, in the day, as, of course, many of our listeners will know we're recording this on Tuesday, the first day of college basketball. So let's start there. Uh, Bake, I'm going to take you right off the script to get started. You're so used to working with me, you probably uh, were expecting a curveball, but a special win uh, for Coach McNellis today. Yeah, it was, Clay. Uh, it was her 500th win of her coaching career, a coaching career that uh, in her 30th season as a head coach, 18 of those um, at Southern Miss. I have been blessed. I totaled them up today. I didn't have it before the broadcast. I didn't want it to be a statistic that I gave during my call, but Afterwards, I went and totaled them up and tweeted out that uh, I've been on the call for 100, exactly the number 100 of her 500 wins. And, um, you know, she's a lady that last year she and I sat down for an interview and broke some news that uh, stage four cancer had returned to her body um, in a pregame show. And we let the world in on that. And um, that was a special moment for me then, obviously, for other reasons. Um, but then to actually get to be there today and to have her alongside my side in the post-game show and to visit and to hear those memories and um, to just hear, hear that moment from her and to reflect back was so cool. And um, she and I have been through a lot. We've been through a lot of laughs, a lot of games, a lot of tears, a lot of wins, a lot of losses. And um, she's been the same individual from game one till now. Um, and she, you know, I tweeted out that she's never dodged a question, never asked me not to ask a question, uh, never not shown up for a post-game interview. And uh, maybe you think, man, this is going to be tough and she shouldn't have to come talk to radio, but she does it every time. She does it uh, with the utmost professionalism every single time. And so, yeah, it was cool. It was, you know, unique. You kick off basketball season and you do it in a gym on education day and, uh, we called it at 11 o'clock this morning, and so, uh, yeah, it's been a full day. It's been a fun day, and, um, you know, kudos to her, and, and, and I'm glad that we got win 500 at home, and I'm glad that it happened now in game one, and we can kind of turn this page and get to rolling. Yeah, cool, and speaking of rolling, man, let's roll straight in uh, to our, our awesome matchup that we get a chance to talk about uh, now and to call on Friday night, and that's the nine and two Popperville Hornets going on the road to a historic setting over to Moss Point to take on a really good eight and three Moss Point team. JB, we'll we'll talk about um, a lot of things, but let's camp out on just how cool this matchup is to get in the second round of the four A playoffs. Yeah, it really is. Uh, you know, we spent a good bit of our portion on Friday night in the second half and in a post-game uh, segment on uh, just the history of this program. It was once uh, the bell cow of the state of Mississippi and uh, everything that, that pertained to, to winning a gold ball went through Dantzler Stadium on the banks of the Escatopla. So uh, it's just a place that, you know, kind of oozes history, if you will, um, I shared with you a story this week from my senior year of high school underneath Dodley at Picayune, and uh, we got an opportunity to play them. They were the number one team in the state, and um, 
they were they were just fantastic, led by a guy by the name of Demarius Bilbo, who went on to play wide receiver at Georgia Tech. He's now uh, a sports agent for Rich Paul's uh, booking agency, which is the representative of LeBron James and Demarius, uh, just a fantastic player. And they then left us, and the next week went on to play in a top 25 matchup in the country wow. against Evangel Christian Academy out of Shreveport. So um, they were taking on teams like that back in the late 90s, um, and, and that really kind of rolled into the 2000s, and, and then it kind of went through a lull, um, much like any program would expect after so much success. And um, But what it appears is, uh, the talent's coming back, and uh, I think the talent's coming back. And what I'm afraid that we'll see on on Friday is the swagger's back as well. I think this is a bunch that um, understands who they are and understands who they want to be, and um, you know they're going to be just a formidable opponent for Jay Beach and the Poplarville Hornets uh, on Friday. And it's not an unfamiliar face. Um, they were once actually, I believe, in the same district for. Uh, just a small period of years, but um, Popperville did go down there and get a win. So it's not like it's uncommon territory for them, but for guys like you and I that, that eat up history and historical areas and just kind of historic scenes in the state of Mississippi, I don't know that um, I, I would certainly put it on the Mount Rushmore wall of, of historic scenes in the state of Mississippi as Dancer Stadium. You know, Jason, as you, you were talking about the game <clears throat> coming up Friday night uh, with Popperville and Moss Point, the second round of the playoffs. But is this going to be an atmosphere? I know we're a historical setting, but just a couple weeks ago, uh, Columbia come down to Poplarville. Is it going to be that kind of atmosphere uh, with these two teams matching up in the second round? You know, Jeff, I, I guess in, in certain ways, I, I kind of crave that. I kind of desire that. I think, uh, you know, I think those kind of environments in a high school setting tend to kind of ramp the intensity up, and I'm sort of a guy that enjoys the intensity of these moments. I don't make them what they are. I, you know, it is just a game. It is a high school football game, but uh, they mean a lot to us. They mean a lot to these staffs. They mean a lot to these communities. Um, I hope, you know, I, I, I think, I, I, of course, I've not seen any footage of this or anything like that, but just judging from their social media presence, in the media's perspective of them at this point from the coast, um, I would tell you I anticipate a, a pretty intense, loud, hostile environment. They love their football. Make no bones about it. There's no community probably in this state that's itching to get back to being the forefront of their classification. Maybe with Moss Point. You know, maybe you could make the argument Moss Point or South Canola. And, um, you know, that when they're rolling, look, it's as rabid as it comes. And um, it's just, yeah, I mean, I anticipate it being that way. And honestly, for the gameplay, I kind of hope it is. You know, it won't overwhelm the Hornets. I'll, I'll say that. Like, it, you know, it's not going to be a scene that's going to get us off kilter um, in an environment maybe that we can't handle. It'll just be an environment that we're going to have to understand how to handle those elements. It's it's funny you brought up South Point, uh, South Panola in your answer. You know, University of South Panola, that was something that came a pretty common phrase. And there was a University of Moss Point before that phrase was even, I think, uh, considered. And so that's kind of the lay of the land, the history down there. But, you know, the ghost that may hang around uh, that 
scene and that stadium are just that, ghosts. The guys that are going to be out there on Friday night have won six in a row. They've thrown back-to-back shutouts. They have a 1,100-yard uh, back and Mr. Evans. Everybody knows about Simmons. He's the old Miss commit out wide. They've got a pretty good guy to go with him out wide as well. And so all those things build up, uh, JB, to be when we actually look at who's going to be out there Friday night for Moss Point. We know they're going to be formidable. Their three losses come and a 12-0 loss to Iverville, a tight ball game against a really good East Central team, 21-20. to And then they also lost to the talented quarterback there at Gaucher in a tight ball game. You know I'm a schedule nerd. I like to see who beat who and where the losses come from. We often say there's not like really a good loss, but if you're going to have three losses for Moss Point, those are pretty. Those are the kind that would stand out and say, "Hey, this isn't a bad football team on a 4A level." What do you expect to see from the Tigers? Well, a lot more now that you've given me those. I was unaware of, of who would beat them outside of East Central and Diaberville. So to know that their only other loss was to, uh, you know, arguably the team in, in 6A in the South, you know, in South Mississippi and Ocean Springs. Um, you know, it just lets you know how real they are. And, yet, yeah, Clay, I, on the offensive side of the ball, when you pop the tape in, when you watch the video, gosh almighty, they just jump off the table. I mean, absolutely jump off the table. They uh, have talent everywhere. Simmons is just unbelievable. Um, I, I really like his body control. I really like the way that he kind of does his his business on the field. He's not very boisterous um, from what I can tell, but he just exudes this confidence that you would expect of a of an SEC guy. Um, the one thing I would tell you that I, that I hope is going to be the case, much of what has transpired in these matchups with throwing teams is our ability to pressure the quarterback. I think for them, I think, their most vulnerable spot offensively is quarterback. And so for us as the Hornets, I think that's where we've got to go and attack because they're going to be in an attacking type mentality from an offensive standpoint. Um, they don't sit back on their heels. They take some shots. They like to hit the slant. And look, you know, a six-yard slant to Simmons can be a 67-yard touchdown for Moss Point. It's, you know, he's that good. So, you, you've got to be conscious and aware and, and understand in your coverages and trust. You know, what I also think is you have to trust what you're doing. Um, and I, I do think the Hornets do that defensively. I think they understand scheme and understand, okay, hey, we, we may let him inside release, but, you know, we've got help in here. Um, and, and so there's an element of that at the corner um, or, you know, anybody in the center, not just the corners. Um you have to trust that that's your job, and you have to allow that to all take place because what you don't want to happen is you go follow Simmons inside, which is what Moss wants you to do in understanding coverages, and they wheel Evans out of the backfield, which I've seen them do you know, a couple of different times. And so that's where they can hurt you because if you, if you get a little undisciplined from, from an eye standpoint of maybe where you're peeking, where you're looking, um, this team is good enough to hurt you. 
JB, you mentioned a couple times the defense just kind of being who they are, doing what they've done. That Popperville defense, and we say it again, Popperville 9-2 and two on the year. Both of their losses, if we're going to do that game, which I've kind of started, uh, a loss to Picune, who has had a heck of a year, and a loss to Columbia, who's had a great year as well. So Popperville hasn't gotten beat uh, by any poor teams either. When you look at the defense for Popperville, when you back out two scooping scores that Columbia had and two kickoff returns that have happened in the last half of this year, this is a defense through 11 ball games that's only given up seven and a half points for Popperville. Speak to our listeners that are just not maybe familiar uh, with what we cover on Friday nights or our post-game coverage of Popperville, just how good this defense has been led by the Dandy does and a Mississippi State commit, Khalid Moore. They've been elite. That's that's how I would, you know, for somebody who's not tuned in, um, it's an elite defense. It's an elite-level defense in the state of Mississippi. It's an elite-level defense, you know, in Class 4A. And, um, you know, they've been just unbelievable play. And really – I would say they've been unbelievable at all three levels. And, and fortunately for the green and gold, that's the case. Because I think coming into this year, the secondary was a question mark. I think the secondary was the area everybody wanted answers from. And um, to those, those guys on the back end, man, they have stepped it up. And it's been by committee, you know, a Lawrence uh, Jamison, a Quan Hutterson, our leader is a young man named Riley Passman. Riley is a guy I've consciously tried to leave the stadiums and say I've got to talk about him more. He doesn't just get the boo-coodle opportunities for tackles because the front seven that play in front of him are just just dogs, right? Straight war daddies. And they're able to go and make these tackles in front of him. So he doesn't get a lot of run kind of game tackle opportunities. And a lot of teams, I think, have identified how disciplined Riley is and stayed away from him in the passing game. But he's a, a, a field general, if you will. They've rotated a lot of guys in at strong safety. Will Harry, Matt Will, guys like that. Um, they had a young man in Corey Burt who had come in and played well in that position as well. Um, he's currently out. So that secondary has answered the calls. They've answered the questions. Um, you know, And then when you get to the front seven, we probably don't have enough time in this podcast for me to, uh, you know, dissect them all, but they have been special. And we've seen some special Hornet defenses, and I really love to refer to each one of their own um, just because they are, right? This one has just been a different kind of animal um, from the linebacking position and then from the defensive line position. There's just not uh, – there's not a gap. There's not an area – I try when I watch the tape, you know, from their huddle account, from the Hornets huddle account, and I'm looking at opponents. I try to find the weak guy. I try to identify a guy. Hey, this is where the Hornets are going to try to attack. Sometimes I'm right. Sometimes, even more times than not, I'm wrong. Um, when I watch us and I try to find the guy, and I do that from time to time, I don't have one in the front seven. I really don't. And um, you know, that's a testament. Khalid Moore. The beauty of Khalid is he's a young man that was kind of a, a a diamond in the rough, if you will. We knew how good he was. I don't know that the state of Mississippi did, but uh, the Mississippi State coaching 
and their coaching staff, they deserve a lot of credit. They found out how good he was and jumped right on him and got Khalid to commit to college and was his first SEC offer. He has since picked up, I think, 19 other Division One offers. He's just as advertised, and the best news for us is sometimes these young men that get these scholarship offers and papers and um, you know, kind of get all the notoriety can tend to kind of take their foot off the gas. I think, just my opinion, but I think Khalid Moore hasn't taken his foot off. He's put two feet on it this year and has stepped on it for this Hornet defense. He's, he's actually been better than he's ever been, and um, that's good news because I think he can be a factor in this game that not a lot of people will say a defensive end affecting a passing game, but I, you know, if by my last count, he led us in pass, uh, pass breakups, PBUs, if you will. Um, and he's doing that from a defensive end position, getting his hands on the ball. So, um, yeah, Clay, it's, it's elite. And, and honestly, it's who they got to be. If, if the Hornets want to be where they want to be um, in a couple weeks from now, um, this defense has to play to that level. Speaking of that, JB, if this Popperville team who's played for three straight state championships, boy, just kind of let that uh, sit for a minute. That's <laughs> something, isn't it? Play for three straight of these on the 4A level. Uh, they want to play for that four straight. Where do you see uh, any improvement from this Popperville team? You've already stated the defense kind of needs to keep doing what they're doing. What, what do the Hornets as a whole have to do to make that type of run in this 4A bracket? I think what Popperville has to do, and you and I had just a great conversation this morning, uh, sort of along this theme. What I think is, I think we're good enough. I really do. I think this team's got to believe they're good enough. I think they've got to understand the work that it's going to take. You know what I think from, from the style of play standpoint? I think the Hornets have to understand who they are, which is we are an elite defensive team and a good offensive team with, I would say, above-average special teams, if not good special teams. I think it's one of the more improved facets of the game. And so what I would tell you is I really like us in defensive-style games. And honestly, and, and, and this is probably not smart of me to say this because I've not watched every play of Moss Point this year, but they strike me as an offensive-style team at this point. They, they are going to want to play this game in an offensive style on Friday. I don't think the Hornets need to try. I'm not saying we can't, but I just don't think Popperville needs to go try to be in, in an offensive shootout-type game. Now, you know, it's funny that I say that because I sound like an idiot because they've scored 84 points in the last two weeks and given up seven. But... <laughs> To me, when you're going to play these elite teams, and I would tell you I think Moss Point's one of them, I think if you're able to get out of this round, the next round, and Mendenhall awaits, and then I think what looms for, for a possible South State matchup on the other side in Columbia awaits, I don't think you're going to win those in offensive shootouts. I don't think those teams really want to outside of Moss Point. Um, so I think the, the style of the game that to me, that's befitting this team the most. And again, this is my opinion. I may be dead wrong. We may go win 49-45 on Friday night, and I'll be tickled pink that I'm dead wrong. But my opinion, I think the style of play that fits this team the best is let's keep this thing in the low 20s. Let's play some defensive-style football. Let's clean our play up. 
let's sustain some drives, shorten these ball games. And uh, I really like us in events like that. Jeff, you know, JB just kind of laid it out. But when you look at uh, what we have in front of us is the 4A bracket. He mentioned Mendenhall. Who do they match up with on Friday? Yeah, they play Macomb. Uh, Macomb's kind of, you know, come up. Uh, you know, here in the past couple of years to get in there. And they, they beat uh, a tough Lawrence County team who you and uh, Jason just seen uh, a couple of weeks back as far as, uh, you know, Popperville playing. But Mendenhall's got Macomb. Yep, and so Mendenhall's a young team, young a year ago that we had the pleasure of calling a South State championship game. D.K. Jenkins, their sophomore quarterback, of course, a year older now, as a junior, had to play in terrible conditions in a monsoon on a Friday uh, for South State. So they'd love to have another shot at Popperville. JB mentioned it. Uh, Columbia will play Bay St. Louis this Friday night. And then North Pike, who has a tremendous record, takes on Newton County. Y'all, Newton County won three to nothing last week. Yeah. Could y'all believe that score when you kind of got settled in that, and checked them, that score out? That's one of them defensive games that JP was just talking about. Yeah, that kind of blew my mind. And when uh, and we'll let you jump back in, JB, and give us uh, your thoughts kind of on the north. You've got Itawamba Agricultural and Ripley, West Lauderdale um, up there, and is that Senatobia that they'll play? Yeah. Clarksdale, Louisville, Pontotoc, and then Caledonia, I believe, is on the bottom half of that thing. But your your thoughts on potentially what awaits whoever it may be coming out of the south, your thoughts on kind of that north side of the bracket, Jason Baker? Yeah, I, th I think that north is as open as it's been in a long time. Um, West Lauderdale already has a win. Uh, over Louisville this year. What I understand is Itawamba AHS uh, may have the best quarterback in the north half. Um, so, you know, I've, I've stated it here and I've stated it in our broadcast before. I like teams that tend to have the best player on the field in high school football. I think those guys um, are difference makers that can win. So, and then, of course, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from Louisville, right? I, I think they're a program we're very familiar with. We've seen them twice. I wish I'd never seen them uh, at all, but uh, they have been just a fantastic program. They're, they're run first class. They're coach first class. I think they're coaching staff. Um, last year's game against the Hornets was maybe the best game plan against Poplarville that I have seen in my time covering the Hornets. Um, I just thought the way they meticulously attacked us uh, in the state title a year ago, They, I think what they understood was sort of how we were going to attack them, and, and I don't think they ever had any intentions of letting that game get out of the teens. Um, you know, it was a 15-14 win for them in a state title. So they're so well coached, and I mean, I mean that to the highest regard of what we've seen. Um, you know, and then this South is, is it is what it is, right? You've got a juggernaut like us that's been to three straight state titles, uh, you know, won a South state title for the last five years. The only one we didn't win was maybe my favorite moment of the bunch, um, you know, in a loss. And so uh, we are who we are. And then, of course, you know, there's a team about, I don't know, what, 45 miles away from Poplarville that, Certainly has got a lot of confidence and a lot of swagger and believes they're the best. And they came to the Hornets' nest and survived a couple of weeks ago. And 
I know a bunch of my guys on in that green and gold and on that green and gold sideline certainly would love one more test and would would love another opportunity because I don't and and I think this is fair and I think Columbia will admit they did not see the Popperville Hornet best and I think that's what's eating I think that's what's eating at Popperville at the moment in driving this this player group and this coaching staff to say just let us get back on that field and play our best and, and see what it made. But the facts of it are, is you're going to have to go through, my opinion, I, I see Mendenhall winning next week. And if we are able to get through Moss Point and get out of Moss Point with a win on Friday, which is going to be a tough task, um, you know, my opinion is, you know, we'll, we'll put the two best in the South and find out, find out with all the chips in the middle of the table, which one, you know, can execute the best. But, you got to have to go through two really tough opponents, in my opinion, to, to even get that opportunity to play with all the chips in the table. Yeah, and if that were to play out, it would be Mendenhall coming to the Hornets' nest. It would be Popperville if uh, – if it held true that Columbia were able to to beat Bay St. Louis, beat Bay High, that you would play over at Columbia. Columbia, of course, ten and one on the year, had that twenty-seven to three victory over Popperville earlier this season. Uh, Louisville is the defending 4A champs until somebody takes the belt from Coach Shorter and his gang, and he's got a lot of them coming back. Hudspeth, uh, Jarvis, the backs coming back as well. They've kind of flipped it, as Jason mentioned earlier. They were defensive heavy last year. Uh, this year they don't mind uh, trading blows with you with the offensive firepower they have coming back. He mentioned the quarterback from Etiwamba. They're 10-1 and one on the year. West Lauderdale is 10-1, and one, and when you go look at their points for and against, this gaudy. Like, they taking advantage of uh, people as West Lauderdale up top. So this foray is going to be a lot of fun uh, to watch and see how it plays off, plays out that last week. Uh, excuse me, that first week in December, now at M.M. Roberts is what everybody in this 4A is uh, chasing. And if it didn't matter to anybody else, I'd love for us all three to pile up in a booth somewhere and call a ball game at around 11 o'clock on that first Saturday in December. How does that sound, guys? Sounds, sounds just like uh, what, what we've started kind of as a somewhat of a December tradition. And, man, uh, there's a lot of football left to get there for the – for the green and gold, but uh, I'm just thankful to be along for the ride. And my goodness, boy, wouldn't it wouldn't it be special? I I, I try not to take those uh, memories and those moments for granted because you just never know uh, if you'll ever get back. And um, you know, ask Moss Point if they believe the last time they they played for a state title, how long it's been since they've been back. And um, so I'm, that that point doesn't slip past me to to cherish those moments. And each one is is each one and um, if we get that opportunity, I'll be there for certain. But uh, first things first, my man, we we got to get into Danfler Stadium, get a W, and get out of there. <laughs> yeah, that is the truth. And a lot of folks have not been able to accomplish just that. Jason Baker, we appreciate uh, your Popperville preview and your look at these 4A brackets. It'll be good to talk football again with you on Friday night, my man. It'll be my pleasure. Cannot wait. Uh, what a scene it is, the oak and the moss that sits. Uh, just to the north end zone in Dantzler Stadium. It's just such a, a pretty and iconic scene. And, um, you know, as Jeff alluded to earlier, I expect it to be a pretty festive atmosphere over there. And uh, I look forward to those opportunities. And 
getting an opportunity to come out of a locker room with the green and gold and, and speak to how well they've been and, and to play and looking forward to it to doing alongside of you fellas. Can't wait, man. Talk to you again Friday. Thank you, JB. Yep, absolutely, Clay.